0: When I was in college, uh, we did what all college students did in uh, the town that I went to school. We went to Walmart, because that was the uh, hangout place where I was going to school. And it was about 10 o'clock, and as we were driving into the parking lot, uh, out of the corner of my eye, a car ran a stop sign and ran right into us as we were pulling into the parking lot. and you can imagine, to my shock, you know, we expect people to stop at stop signs, to stop at red lights. And you imagine my shock as they ran right into us and we were in a wreck. Well, it turns out it was actually somebody we knew from college because that's the college hangout spot. Everybody's there on a uh, on Tuesday night uh, at Walmart. And as we were sitting there waiting for the cops to show up, you know, trading the insurance and all that, my friend in the passenger seat looked at me and said, you know, I actually saw that car coming the whole time. And you can imagine the look on my face when I looked over there at him and said, well, why didn't you tell me? I mean, if you literally saw a car running a stop sign, and you obviously could tell I don't see it because I'm not hitting my brakes, why would you not tell me that a car was coming and we were going to run into them? And he said, well, you know, I didn't want to tell you how to drive. You didn't want to tell me how not to get in a wreck. Well, I find that a very interesting parallel to the Christian faith and to our own Christian faith when it comes to telling people the truth about the gospel. In the same way that my friend, the best thing that he could have done was to tell me the bad news that was coming right to me. And that was, hey, regardless if you like it or not, that car is not stopping. And as Christians, we ought to come to the conclusion, which the Bible clearly depicts, and it's the idea to say, you and I, and everybody on earth, has the bad news that we are a sinful people separated from a holy God. And whether we want to admit it or not, there is a danger that is coming into our view that if not corrected and if not explained and responded to appropriately, we're all going to get to a place where I was in a bad accident with no way out. And I want you to know that this is the week two in our series called Healthy Church. As we're getting this church started and launched here in New Braunfels, Texas, we are looking at the book of Colossians in chapter one. If you're not already there, go ahead and flip your Bible open. We'll start in verse six. But as we're uh, starting this church in the series called Healthy Church, what we want to do is look at Scripture. And what does Scripture teach you and I about the most important things that we can do as a church? And this sermon and these texts are going to tell us this, if we're going to be a healthy church, we must embrace the responsibility to spread the truth of the gospel to a world without hope. If you were here last week or if you're familiar with the letter to the Colossians, Paul is commending the Colossian church by saying, I've heard of your faith, I've heard of the love that you have for the saints, and it's all because of the hope that you have kept for you in heaven. And in the next few verses, Paul is now explaining the implications of the hope of the gospel, not only in Colossae, but throughout the whole world. And Paul is uh, alluding to something that he's going to make explicit later on in Colossians, but I thought it would be really good for me to bring up to you now, and it's this right here, that neglecting your responsibility to share the gospel might find you losing hope in your own faith while also misrepresenting God to those around you. What do I mean by that? Uh, many of you, uh, if you don't preach the gospel into your own heart on a regular basis, and I'm not saying that you need to be feeble and that you, know, that if, if you, if, that you have to always be you know, making sure that you're sure all the time, which is a good thing. But what I'm saying is, is you find yourself, when you're not actually presenting the gospel to people and you're not actually taking serious the faith of the gospel, don't you find yourself questioning it sometimes? You find yourself saying, well, do I really believe this? I mean, because it takes some real hope. In faith in our Lord Jesus Christ to really, really believe that there is this holy, transcendent God who is perfect and holy and just. And every single human being on earth, billions of people here, all have a separation between us and that God. And that God sent His Son to earth to live the perfect life that you and I couldn't. And to be the perfect sacrifice that you and I could not be. Or, better yet, the sacrifice that you and all were going to have to be because of the sin that rested over our lives. And the fact that Christ lived a perfect life, became our sacrifice, was nailed on the cross, and then was buried. And then three days later, he was resurrected, and he was caught up into heaven, and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's a lot to believe, isn't it? And what I'm saying to you is if the gospel isn't something that you're not only preaching in your own heart and sharing with other people, you're going to be tempted oftentimes to put off the gospel or to not trust in it or to be losing faith in the one thing that you believe. You see, we know that the Bible is active and living and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And what we know about it, if it's living, it is designed to be working in you and through you. But if we're not allowing God's Word to be living and active in us, it's not growing us. And any time the gospel isn't permeating in our lives and out from our lives, it's going to be stagnating in our lives. And I want to encourage you uh, through the letter to Colossae to remind you that preaching the gospel is going to do two things. Preaching the gospel, one thing, is going to affirm the gospel in your own life. It's going to give you the the courage and the steadfastness and the hope that Paul's talking about earlier in Colossians in your own life so you can stand on it and say, I know the world says a lot of different things about how I can be right with God. The, The Bible says a lot of things, or the world says a lot of things, about why I don't need God, but the Bible teaches me why I need God and what God is doing in my life. And if we're not preaching those things in our life, we're going to have a hard time keeping the hope that has been laid up for us in heaven, as we talked about last week. Now, the second implication is this. If it's not something that we're letting out into our lives, into our neighborhoods, into our families, then we're also going to be misrepresenting God to those around you. Like this, my friend did not tell me the truth. Right? And I have to wonder why my friend was unwilling to tell me the truth about the danger that was coming right into us. And I will pose the same question to you. What would your friends and your neighbors and your family think about somebody who says they believe in something but doesn't want to talk about it because they're fearful that you might not like them? Or fearful that you might look at them differently? Because what they're going to think is if what you're saying is so important and you believe it so much, why is it not something that you are not sharing with me? And so we don't want to neglect our responsibility to share the gospel, to take part in what God is doing here in New Braunfels, in Texas, in America, in the world for his glory. And so Paul, in these next few verses, in verses 6 through 8, reminds the church in Colossae how the truth of the gospel was faithfully given to them. Just look back at verse 6. In verse 6, uh, Paul uh, which does a really, really good thing here when he's talking about the faith that the Colossians have, he actually brings up the necessity to sometimes uh, look past your local geography and look at what God's doing around the world. And I think sometimes for you and I, it's good for us to kind of take our eyes off of the right here in New Braunfels and the hill country in Texas and America to look broadly at what God's doing throughout the rest of the world because a lot of times that actually bolsters and confirms the faith that you believe in. And that's what Paul does here. Look at verse 6. The gospel, which he just talked about in verse 5, has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it. Paul's saying this Hey, I want you to know that these things that are happening here in Colossae are going on everywhere. Why was this important to, Col- to the Colossians? Because the Colossians were being pushed from multiple angles uh, from, some would believe that it's these Jewish people who are trying to force these Jewish beliefs on them in order for them to truly have the fullness of Christ. And so what they're saying is, is well, you can have Jesus, but you also need to add our dietary restrictions. You also need to add the holidays that we, uh, that we set apart, uh, Yom Kippur and the, the Passover, and we, ha- we have to do the, the Feast of Booze. These things are all in important Jewish holidays that are commanded for Jews to follow. And if you don't follow that, then you're also not completely saved. All right, and then you have these other people on this side in Colossae who are saying, listen, uh, there's knowledge that you don't know. Don't we get that a lot in our culture? There's things that you need to know if you want to be right with God, and you can't know it you have to come to me and I'm going to let you know it, right? Uh, this idea of subjective truth, right? We, we can't know, you just have to believe in what I'm trying to tell you. And so from this angle, you also have these other people pressing in on the Colossians to say, Jesus is not enough, you need to add something. And Paul is reminding them to say, listen, maybe in your, in your area, these people are talking to you about these half-truths and these things that you need to add to your salvation, but he's saying, listen, you need to look at the whole world. This is good enough for the whole world. This gospel is going out to all of the world, and it's multiplying and it's bearing fruit. And so Paul is trying to remind them to say, "You know what's going to help you is if you get your eyes off of Colossae and you look around at the world. Churches are growing, the gospel is expanding, and fruit is being produced through the faithfulness of Christians, not only in Colossae, not only in New Braunfels, but in the whole world." And Paul's saying this, and I put it as point number one on your own outline: is you need to be encouraged by the global impact of the gospel. You need to be encouraged by the global impact of the gospel. There's so much to say about the church in Colossae and what they were dealing with. Uh, did you put point number one up there? Yep. There you go. Be encouraged by the global impact of the gospel. Write that down in your notes. Uh, if you have notes, if you don't have a note sheet, let us know. We'd love to get you one. We like taking notes here at Compass. Uh, but we need to be uh, encouraged by the global impact of the gospel. And there's, like I said earlier, there's so much to say about the church in Colossae because they could be just so discouraged by all of the forces on the outside in culture that were pushing them to not consider what God was doing. Uh, they kind of folded it themselves in to say, you know, we're dealing with all these things. There's all these problems that we're dealing with in Colossae, and it just takes everything we have just to, to confirm our own faith. And I want to extend that out to you to say, how much is going on in your life you turn on the news. Maybe you're dealing with a lot of family conflict. Uh, maybe you have people who, uh, at your work who are questioning what you believe and why you believe it. Um, and, yet, and sometimes you're just like, I just need to. It takes everything I have to wake up and, and have faith in Christ. It just takes everything I have to just confirm the own calling that I believe God has given in my life. And sometimes when you do that, you fold in so much that you do not see what God's doing everywhere else. Because if you would just look for a moment, around our world, to see what God is doing with the proclamation of the gospel, I think you would find yourself very encouraged about what God's doing throughout the world. You want to be encouraged this morning? I have some good statistics for you. According to LifeWay Research, I'm going to give you a few statistics that are going to be really encouraging for you and I as Christians. Did you know that Christianity is growing faster than the population of the world? Did you know that? That Christianity, the faith in Christ alone, that is growing faster than people are having babies. As a matter of fact, Christianity is growing at a 1.27% rate. And, if you're, and you're probably thinking a lot of things like, man, if my uh, savings account uh, was, was not that much, or if my retirement account only went to 1.27%, that wouldn't be a good thing. But the good thing is, is Christianity is growing at one27 but the birth rate is only one2 You know what that's called? It's called Progress. That's called uh, that people are believing and trusting in something and they're propagating it faster than people can have babies. And that's a good thing when it comes to the worldwide scope of the faith of the gospel. Did you know that followers of Jesus outnumber every other faith and are predicted to continue to do so through at least 2050? Did you know that? That Christianity is the largest faith in the whole world and it's continued to be at least through 2050. And I'd wager to bet if I were a betting man, and I'm not, Uh, that if we took seriously our responsibility to propagate the gospel here in New Braunfels, in Texas, in America, throughout the world, I bet you that Christianity would be the fastest growing and maintain the largest faith in the world for hundreds of years to come until Christ comes back. I believe that, and I hope you believe that. Did you know that evangelicals did you, did you know evangelicals is not a political term? Evangelicals is actually uh, people who believe that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then when it comes to him, shall not perish, but I have eternal life. That's what an evangelical is. It's those of us who believe and trust in Christ and believe in the fundamentals of the faith of Scripture. Do you know we are among the fastest growing group of Christians in the world? Can you believe that? People who are so exclusive to the claims of Christ, we just so happen... More than mainline denominations, right, like the Catholic right, Church, the Episcopalian, those mainline denominations who are very inclusive to what everyone believes. The evangelicals over here who have very staunch beliefs in what Scripture says, they're growing at a faster rate than all the others. Think about that. You wouldn't really get that if you turned on the news tonight, would you? Uh, did you also know this, that atheism has peaked? you believe that if you turned on the news or went to school this week? That that atheism as a belief has peaked. Did you know there are fewer atheists in the world today than there were in 1970? Did you know today we have 138 million atheists? In 1970, we had 165 million atheists. Uh, Do you know that since 2000, atheism just slightly rebounded at a 0.04%, but is expected to decline again? and fall below 130 million by 2050. Do you see that? That the claims, the exclusive claims of Christ, that I need to repent of my sins and trust in Christ because there is a holy God who wants to both be in communion with me but cannot be because of my sin and separation from him, that belief is growing faster than this idea of nothing created something and my life can mean something because of nothing. Nothing. Right? That's atheism, right? This idea that I can live my life how I want because there is no greater being in the world, that's not growing. It's appealing, isn't it, to say nothing can, nothing can tell me what to do, there is no higher cause, there is no greater meaning in life. You know, People aren't buying that. Why? Because look around. As Romans says, go out and look. Go out and look and you will see that there is a God. Go out and look around and you're going to notice that God has made himself known there is a group called atheism, which, you know, atheists do not believe. They're atheists, right? They believe there is no God. But there's also a group that I think sometimes people can get confused. It's called agnosticism, right? Agnostics believe that there is a God, uh, but I can't know him, that he's a far-off God, and I can't really belong to him. He can't belong to me. He's just kind of out there, and, and he's some being in the world that's kind of wound us up and set us loose, right? That's an agnostic. Uh, do you know that after reaching 716 million uh, it's expected to drop below 700 million by 2050. See, what, what I want to do is encourage you to say, listen, the thing that you believe in, the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, these truth claims that the Bible corroborates and confirms, is growing while all of these other false truths that may be some, similar to the, what the Colossians were dealing with, and surely the things that you and I are dealing with, are actually shrinking. They have no future hope of fruitful multiplication in the future because people... Namely, that is, God is bringing people to the knowledge of Himself. Atheism has had it today. Agnosticism has had it today. All of these other world religions have had their day. But God is bearing fruit and expanding His kingdom and multiplying the fruit of evangelism throughout our world. Did you know that obviously the percentage of unevangelized is shrinking? Listen to this statistic. More than half of the world's population in 1900 were unevangelized. 1900, that is 121 years ago. Who was alive? That's just a joke, okay? 54.3% were unevangelized in 1900. That percentage is now in 2019, two years ago, 28.4%. Believe that, that we went from 50% to 28% of the world being unevangelized in 120 years. Imagine in 120 years what that percentage could be. Now, you realize unevangelized doesn't mean saved. It just means they have the gospel there, right? Uh, Actually, as a matter of fact, there are still over 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel, who aren't being, doesn't have the gospel propagated in their place. Uh, But what I want you to do is for a moment, take your eyes off of what's going on here and look at the facts, Look at the statistics on the advancement of the gospel throughout the whole world. And I think just as Paul is trying to uh, encourage the Colossians, you and I can be encouraged by understanding and seeing that the gospel is going out. That the gospel is being confirmed and is bearing fruit all over the world. Did you know, could you tell me the two fastest growing churches in the world right now? Not like Compass Bible Church or, you know, whatever. The, The two countries where Christianity is growing the fastest. Iran and Afghanistan. Did you know that? The two fastest growing Christian movements in the whole world are going on in places you and I would wake up this morning and say, I don't want to step foot over there. I don't want to be in that chaos. But did you know they have the fastest growing Christian group in the whole world? Isn't that amazing? In a place of chaos and complete disorder and war and murder and death, they are growing. Because in the midst of all this false hope that is now ripped away from them, they have the one thing that's left, and that is the true hope of the gospel. Why why do I talk about that? Because do you know the country that has one of the slowest rates of Christian growth in the whole world? United States. Beat only by Europe, which I don't want to beat Europe in that category. But we have the second fastest rate of Christian growth in the whole world. And what I want to do with that is, is to give you this understanding that we don't have to go overseas to share the gospel. That we don't have to look at some far off place for us to understand that there's gospel work to do. As a matter of fact, the gospel work is, needs to be done here. Right? This place needs the gospel. This place needs people who are bold enough to be encouraged about gospel work and to continue in it. A stat I didn't put on here, but did you know uh, that the uh, headquarters, I guess at the headquarters, like the hub of Christianity has now moved to the global south? Did you know that? What does that mean? That means, did you know now the largest groups of Christians are now found in the global south, south of the, the equator? So South America, Africa, all those places, Christianity is growing there, and that's where most Christians live now. And so for those of us who say, if I could just go to Africa, right? If I could just go to those, those, those aboriginal places in Australia, if I could just go to South America where these tribes are, are there all alone, and I'm saying, statistically, there's more Christians down there than there is where we're at. And what I'm saying to you is there's work to do here. Be encouraged by what's going on in South America. Be encouraged about what's going on in Iran and Afghanistan and Africa. But let's be emboldened on the work that we have to do here in New Braunfels, Texas. When it comes to for you to have this boldness and faith that the, the gospel should be uh, promulgated and propagated throughout our whole world, I just want you to look at Romans 10.18. You don't have to flip there, but at least pay attention when I read it. Uh, Paul says in Romans 10.18, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So here's the faith and the trust that you can have in the gospel. It's going out, right? It's going out throughout the world, and everybody's going to hear, right? And God's goal is for everyone to hear the gospel. Because he knows that when a time comes, and the time is fulfilled, and Christ comes, every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow, to Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying in Colossians. Colossians can be known as, as, the, as the cosmic Christ. The letter can be uh, titled the cosmic Christ. This Christ who rules over everything. And for you and I, it's to understand and to see that Christ is going to be honored and proclaimed throughout the whole world, and it's never going to slow down. The question is, are we going to partner with that? Are we going to, are we going to partner with God's plan for the redemptive history of the world? How are you going to do this? Well, first, I hope I prove to you that actually the most ministry work that needs to be done is here, maybe second only to Europe. So unless you want to go pitch your uh, tent over in Europe to uh, do evangelism, I think this is a good place for you to sit, isn't it? So in that, I want you to look. The nations are right here, right? The nations are here. And what I mean by that is go up 15 minutes north of here. You have one of the largest public schools in the state of Texas called Texas State. You know who goes there? everybody you know what nations are represented there at texas state almost all of them you go over about 20 minutes to seguin and you have texas lutheran university go down to san antonio and you the university of incarnate ward you have trinity university you have university of texas san antonio i mean i keep going right i mean you look around and you go up north where no one wants to go and you can go to university of texas uh, but there's all these places where the nations exist That God said, you know what, you don't have to fly over to Africa. You don't have to fly over to Southeast Asia. As a matter of fact, you can just drive up the road, and you're going to find all the nations, and those people need Jesus. And you're thinking, well, maybe I'm too old to go to campus. If I showed up to campus, the cops would be called. And I'm like, okay, fine. Do you know you live in the second or third fastest growing city in the United States of America, surrounded by two of the most populous metropolitan areas in the entire United States of America? I mean, you live in the midst of one of the most populous areas in the whole country where people are moving from all over the place to be right here. People are moving from California. Did you know that? <laughs> and I would say this. What about if, instead of complaining that Californians are moving here, that we prayed to God and say, God, could you use me as a tool to reach these people who are moving here from California? And just so you know that I'm not trying to confirm my own stuff, I'm from Texas, Okay. I grew up outside of Dallas, so uh, many of our people here may have come from California. But the idea is that we, if you've lived in Texas your whole life, ought to be looking at this moment in the history of Texas to say, wow, God is bringing in the nations here. God is bringing unreached people from California and New York and, and all of these places where the gospel isn't growing, and he's bringing it here to a place where the gospel is fruitful, a place where everyone goes to church on Sunday. If we just had a church that would preach the gospel, I think we could reach a bunch of people in New Braunfels. Well, here we are. And, and what's your part in that? Right? Be bold and be encouraged by the, the gospel impact in our world, but also get encouraged and be excited to do that work here in our own city. I get the problem, right? Because there's a hurdle that you and I are going to have to jump over to get to that point. And I I hear you, and I see it, uh, and I want to talk about it, okay? And there's a hurdle that we have that's found in verse 6, right? In verse 6, there's a word in there that's been taken for granted for generations and generations and generations that you and I cannot take for granted any longer, okay? And it's the word truth. And that's what you see at, look at uh, at the end of verse 6, Right, there's this gospel that's been bearing fruit, and it's increasing, and, it, and it's doing that among you, and it's done it since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. All right, I want you guys to zoom in and pay attention to me for a moment, okay? We understand as Christians that there is a war on truth, okay? And I understand that many of you guys who are just have hearts for people and that just love people, amen, we need to all be loving people, okay? And we need to love the lost. Uh, but what we have to understand is there is a war on truth, okay? There's a war on truth, and there, we live in a society uh, where the idea of ontology, or this idea of existence, of uh, reality, and truth are all in question. What is truth, right? What is reality? Okay, well, when we cannot define truth, and when we cannot define reality, we can no longer define the gospel. Do you hear this? And why can I say that? Because right here in verse 6, it says that you understood, there's an understanding, right? There comes to a consensus agreement on the grace of God in truth. And so for you and I to take seriously the gospel, we also have to take serious the truth. Okay, And here's the problem with that. For those of us who want to be agreeable people and our friends and our, you know, especially if you're generation Y or generation Z or, or even if you're generation X or maybe you're a baby boomer in here, even you with your kids or your grandkids or their friends, you're all, we're all going to deal with this some way, somehow. And the problem is, is we have to ask ourselves, is what I have truth And we have to confirm in our life what is truth. Okay, that's a lot, okay? But here's how we're going to categorize this because this is the two realms of truth that we have in our world today. You have relative truth, right? And you have objective truth, right? Objective truth, it uh, corresponds to reality. You get what I'm saying? Uh, Objective truth corresponds to something that's happening, right? That gravity is working, therefore my feet are on the ground. That's an objective truth, right? I have a red Corolla. That's an objective truth. Now, a subjective truth is something that is tied to experience, okay? Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like if I jumped off of this house, I could fly and land, okay? That's what people would call subjective truth, because if when reality hits that subjectivity, what's going to happen? I'm going to hit the ground, and objective truth is going to hit me right in the face, right? That gravity works, okay? And, and I don't mean to to belittle this idea of subjective truth. Because there are people who will be able to argue subjective truth uh, till the cows come home. And uh, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and do that because I'm just going to tell you the reality that we find ourselves in is we're in a war with the idea of truth. And subjective truth is always tied to experience. And that's the reason you see in our culture, in our world, where no one is uh, for telling you the facts, they want to tell you stories. Well, here's what happened to me, and this is how it made me feel. Okay, that is subjective truth truth, how it made me feel, okay? So when I talk to people about the gospel and I say, listen, there is a real creator God who is holy and just. He's also loving, right? A very loving God. A God who wants to be in the presence of his people. Um, And then someone says, I just don't like the way that makes me feel. Okay. Well, that's an opinion in history, but now we've called it subjective truth. And now people, when they say, well, my experience says I don't want to believe that, and now we now have this separation between what truth is in society opposed to what objective truth actually is. Are you following me? Because this, this is a biblical problem. Right? This is a gospel issue. Okay, Because we have to ask this question, and I mean that. You need to ask this question now, especially if you're like, I don't know, well, I don't know, that's a good question. Okay, You have to ask your question, is what I have truth? You have to ask yourself, if you are a Bible believing Christian and you believe, at least you believe that you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Christ, what what has made you now in a right relationship with God, you have to ask yourselves, is what you believe true? And here's why. Because if it's false, right? If what you believe is false, then it's wrong to spread a lie. You get that. Like if what you believe is wrong, it's wrong to spread it. Like you stop, basically, stop, right? But if the gospel is true, if what you believe is true, and I'm not talking about believe like subjective believe, like if the facts of the matter are true, then it's wrong to keep it to yourself. Right? Do you see that? And the problem with our world is, is they're going to try to keep you at a distance saying, well, that's true for you, but not for me. Well, no, 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 no. All right, Francis Schaeffer, who uh, attacked this head on uh, back in the day, says, "You, know, we have this thing, and it's objective truth, and you can say it this way. It's true truth. Okay, It's not just true for you, but not for me. It's a true truth. It's true for everybody and we have to go to war with that idea of saying truth is not based on experience truth is something that corresponds with reality Whew. and i know you all came here to go to school but it's, a, it's something that we have to talk about uh, because it's not a political statement to say truth is truth and here's why okay because we have to ask the truth about what well the truth about the gospel right that's what we're really talking about here I'm not concerned with any truth that doesn't get me to the gospel. But the good thing is, all truth is going to get me to the gospel because all truth is God's truth. And if the truth of the matter is that God has used all things to glorify himself, God has made himself known in all of creation, if I can just get people to the truth, they're going to make a beeline to God. And if I can get people to truth, I can make sure the gospel is in central spotlight to articulate the gospel of God. And so when I talk about the truth, I'm talking about the gospel, I'm talking about sin, I'm talking about the idea that there is truly a judgment that is going to come. It's not a subjective judgment. Uh, it's, it's a real judgment that's going to happen. Uh, and it's objective and it's true and there's nothing we can do about it. Just like uh, my friend uh, didn't tell me the car was coming and it didn't matter if they told me or not, it was coming. Right? and the only thing that they could do was tell me before it happened so I, could, so I could keep from hitting that car. Well, that's the same place we find ourselves in. Whether we like it or not, the time of judgment is coming, and the best thing that we can do is let people know, hey, there's a true reality that's coming, and it's going to end not well for those who don't see it coming and don't respond to it. And so just like my friend should have told me the truth, we have to be truth tellers. And I put it this way in point number two, is you need to stand for the truth. Right. You need to stand for the truth. And I hate and I hate that we're talking... A lot. It's kind of it has animosity tied to it. Right, Stand for the truth. We're at a war on truth. And I, I get it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's going to be fun or it's going to be fluffy and your neighbor is going to be your best friend next week. Uh, but what I am saying is your neighbor, like me, are going to be much more thankful when the time of judgment comes uh, when you go to them and tell them the truth of the gospel opposed to when you don't and they look at you in the time of judgment and say... You didn't tell me that I was about to get ran over by the judgment of God, right? I mean, that's what you want. You don't want them to say that. You want them to get to the judgment seat of God and you want them to say things like, wow, I'm so glad that my friend, my neighbor stood out there in the, in the war on truth in our society and told me the truth of the gospel because if it wasn't for that moment in that person's life I would not even be able to stand in the presence of God, Right? But we have to see that there's there's a necessity of truth, and it's not just in our culture today. It's in Scripture. There's a necessity of truth that we find in Scripture. One is Second Corinthians ten five, and I want you to to flip there. Second Corinthians ten five, Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. Paul's writing his second letter to the church in Corinth. And this is what he says about the idea of subjective reality, subjective truth. And I want you to circle this and underline it, because I think it's going to help you be a better uh, evangelist or, or a better uh, truth teller when it comes to God and the gospel. All 2 right. Corinthians 10.5, Paul says this, that our, our job is to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, thought, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Two things I want to separate here, and I want you to, to tackle both of these. Okay, The first one is this. That we have to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And I get, man, if you're in here and you're like, man, I just don't want to get into that, right? I have so much going on in my life. I don't want to get into uh, destroying arguments and, 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 and going after lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. And all I have to say with that objection is that there are things that God takes seriously, right? right? His judgment, His holiness, His righteousness. And there are things that we even talked about last week, if you were here, that God wants us to put down, right? He wants us to put down the the fleeting desires of this life. He wants us to put down the things that do not help us pursue the kingdom of God. Because that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All what things? All the things that you're striving after in as far as your food, your shelter, uh, the things that you need to survive. And what, what God wants us to do is lay those lesser things aside and focus on the main thing. And what the main thing is, is that people could know the truth. And that Paul saw a big problem in culture there that we still see here, and that's this problem. That there are arguments and lofty opinions that are raised up against the knowledge of God. And just like in the Colossian day, if we don't stand up for these, uh, against these false truths and against these things that are leading people away from the knowledge of God, we're going to see people perish for eternity. And that's why I went back to the beginning of this and said, do you believe this? I mean, do you believe this is true? The gospel, of course. Because if you don't believe the gospel is true it's not going to appeal to you to destroy arguments and to destroy lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Right? But if you truly, truly believe this, you're going to look at any of these things that don't point people straight to the knowledge of God as, as evil, right? as deadly, as eternally uh, consequential for people who don't trust in the knowledge of Christ. See, when we look at the truth for what it is, we look at this verse and we say amen to that. Like I have to destroy arguments and I have to destroy lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Can I, can I bring it home to you real quick? When your kids come home and they tell you, mom, dad, look what I learned at school today. And it was something that you did not think was appropriate for your kids to learn. Well, you know what you're going to do? You're calling the teacher. You're calling the principal. You're calling the superintendent. You're calling the mayor, the governor, the senator, the president, right? I mean, you're, you're going to do whatever you can to go and say, I don't want this be taught to my kid. What is different about the arguments and lofty opinions raised against people so they cannot know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? I need to be calling the president, the senator. I need to be praying to the Lord that we could destroy these lofty opinions and these arguments so people could come face-to-face with the knowledge of God. In the same way that you would call everybody to get your kids to learn the truth, we need to be making sure that we're doing our due diligence to make sure that everybody gets to know the truth. Now, the second part is this, that you need to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And this is what I love. This is this is you bringing all this home, right? This is idea that I'm saying that whatever thought comes into your mind, you need to capture it. I do this. This is one of my favorite like practical applications of the Bible that I've been doing since I was saved at 15. Right when a thought comes into my head, I'm like, okay, and then I take it over here metaphorically. I take it over here and I say, Jesus, what do you think about this? Like, you see this? Like, you don't like this? You don't like this, I don't need this, okay? So every thought that I have, was, you know, uh, should, I, uh, should, should, should I tell my wife that what she said was just mean, 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 and be picky? I take it over here, and I'm like, Jesus, what do you think about this? And he's going to quote Proverbs, and he's going to say, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. I'm like, yeah, that's good, okay. All right, I'm going to throw that away, okay? And I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to say, uh, can I steal... Uh, that that watch that I like at the store, and I'm going to take it over here, and I'm going to say, Jesus, can I do, can I do this? And uh, Jesus is going to say, Thou shalt not steal. Some like, of ah, that that was a good one. Okay, all right. So if you see what I'm saying? I can do it with anything. You keep going. Like you just keep you keep capturing those thoughts, and you keep taking them over there. And Jesus says, Right, not not a single word or an iota will pass from the law. Right, none of it. So what I know is I can open up the Bible, and if the Bible tells me what to do. That's, that's what Christ would want me to do, because that's what Christ said. I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So the Ten Commandments matter. Okay, I'm not saying, whew, we're, okay, We'll get into that later, the, the things of the New Covenant is fulfilled, like the Sabbath and those things, but we can talk about that later. Uh, but the things the Bible says to do, it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. So the point about this is the Bible is living and active. So when you take the thoughts captive in your life and you put them to God's Word, guess what's going to happen? It's going to lead you into righteousness, okay? But we have to understand this, and it's what we've been trying to get to this whole time, is to say, if people can't first get to the news of the gospel, they can't do those things, right? Or at least be futile because they're going to try to take things to the Bible and they have no capacity outside of the Holy Spirit to lead them in righteousness. And so the first thing that I don't do in people's lives is to tear down arguments and tear down lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God so that I can put people right into the presence of the truth of the gospel. It's going to be futile for them to take all of their bad things and try to make them right when they are not right with God. Does that make sense? All right. Amen. All right. So we got to do those things, right? We have to destroy arguments and lofty opinions. We need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, but here's how we do it, right? And you don't have to flip there, but at least write, jot down this reference. Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15. And it's this, that we need to speak the truth in love. Okay? Speaking the truth in love. And here's the great thing. There is both truth and and love in the gospel, right? God is both truth and love, right? Not one, not either or. In our society, we just want to say love, and I'll get to that in just a second, but we have to understand that there's a necessity of truth, right? And there's a necessity of truth, and if we're going to love people, we're going to tell them the truth. And let's get back, we'll finish up this relative truth conversation, okay? When it means that I'm speaking the truth in love, it, it means that I have to understand the difference between subjective truth and objective truth, right? Because if subjective truth is our goal, then we all create our own world in which truths, other truths cannot coexist. Do you get what I'm saying here? If I have all my truths here, and Brandon's got all his truths over there, right? And our relationship can only get as close as our worlds exist. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because if my truths are my Thoughts and opinions and emotional uh, biases and all his or that, then any time we cross over into each other's existences, those things are going to butt heads. And I can't. And according to our culture, that can't be love because we can't agree on everything. And if you're going to love me, that means you can't tell me I'm wrong. Okay. So subjective realities only get us so close when it comes to love and truth, and that's unbiblical. Right, because the biblical the biblical truth is this that here's the biblical realities of our world the, the truth of the gospel the truth of what Scripture says the truth about how I'm supposed to live in my marriage the truth about how I'm going to raise my kids the truth about the decisions I need to make in my daily life that both honor God uh, and uh, that honor the lives of people made in the image of God right when I'm living in that and somebody comes up into this objective truth circle with their subjective truth every single thing about my life is going to hit them in the face when it comes comes the truth, because I have all of these biblical truths, and when they enter into this, th- this place of truth, they're going to say, wow, all of that flies in the face of everything I believe. And you're like, well, of course it does, right? I mean, that's, that's why Jesus came, because everything that we did was twisted. Everything that we believed was completely wrong when, when it came to uh, the, the reality of who God was. And so, of course, when people come up to you, and you're saved, and they're not saved, they don't love what you have to say, but it's the truth. And so that's why you tell that truth in love. And the most loving thing that we could ever do to anybody at any place or at any time is to tell them the truth about God, right? And the prayer and the hope is that they would see their life for what it is and they would say, yeah, you know what? I want to turn from all this stuff, all this stuff that I tried to make make up, all these things that I tried to conform uh, to help me feel better about life. You want to know how I feel better about life? Getting my life right with God. And so if we can do that, and subjective truth won't allow us to do that. You got that. You got that from that, right? Subjective truth cannot allow us to live in community with one another. But objective truth can. Because objective truth is this, that I'm a Christian and you're a Christian, and we come into community with one another through life groups. Sign up for a life group outside. Okay? When we're in life groups together, and then I have, this, I have biblical truth, and you have biblical truth, and we're walking alongside each other, and say, I got in a fight with my wife because I was being prideful. Uh, my truth is going to... Uh, my truth. Ooh, here we go. All right. <laughs> the truth in my life and your life are going to come up to each other, and you're going to look at me and say, you know what? The Bible says that you can't live in animosity towards your wife. The Bible actually says that's going to hinder the, your prayers to God if you can't live in, in a right relationship with your wife. And I'm going to say, that's good. That's the that's gospel truth. So, so us living in community is actually going to sharpen us. And objective truth allows us to live life in community with one another, truly loving each other, because it allows us to be honest with one another. And that's the point of being in a community that is corresponding to the truth as reality of how it really is. Because when we live in reality as it really is, we get to answer the big questions in life. You know, who is God? You know, why? where is my place in the universe? Right? You know, how can I be right with God? You know, How do I raise my kids? How do I live in, in a marriage that doesn't end in divorce? I mean, these are all questions that you can't answer rightly in subjective truths. But in objective truths, with biblical truth, I can answer these questions and live a righteous life according to God's word. Whew. put it this way that my friend knowing the truth about the runaway car that's one thing right they they knew it they saw it uh, but them telling me the truth about it is completely different, right? So you knowing the truth about the gospel, as a matter of fact, you even responding to the truth of the gospel, of saying, you know what, I realize I'm, 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 in, I'm an enemy of God, right? I realize that that uh, I was underneath the wrath of God until Christ came, paid that punishment for me, uh, and now I'm, under, I'm, I'm in Christ, so now he has taken my sin and, and he has put it on himself and he has clothed me in righteousness. Like, even if that is you, right, that you've made that decision and you know you have... Uh, It's that's different than saying, you know, what I know that truth, but I also want to let you know that truth, right? My friend knowing the truth and not telling me the truth is is dangerous, and it's evil because I still got into an accident. And the question is, like, even if you know the truth, are you going to tell the truth? Are you going to live knowing everybody else is in danger? Everybody else is has a problem with a holy God, and even if you don't, because you're right with God, what was it going to take for God to convict you and move you towards sharing the gospel with people who need it, who are in danger? You know, if we're going to be a healthy church, right, we need individuals who take responsibility. And all this, to wrap it up, to say this right here, look at verse 7. Verse 7 in Colossians 1, verse 7. It says, Just as you learned it, learned what? The gospel. From Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. There's a guy that you don't hear much in the New Testament. His name is Epaphras. And Epaphras is one of my heroes of the New Testament. And here's why. He wasn't an apostle, right? And he wasn't Paul. He wasn't Peter. He wasn't Thomas. He wasn't wasn't one of those who was walking around with, with Jesus, right? That people, you know, I'd love to be one of those guys or... They would say, well, if I was that guy, I'd do all those things too. Like, Epaphras was just one of us. Right? Epaphras was, was in Ephesus one time doing his thing, trading goods, you know, making a living. And he runs into Paul in Ephesus. And Paul is preaching the gospel. And Epaphras is like, that's, uh, that's some truth. Right? That's some objective truth. And I have a problem with a holy God. And then Paul leads Epaphras to Christ. You know what, you know what Epaphras does? He goes right back to Colossae and he goes into his house, locks his door and say, I don't want to tell people about that. No, that's not what he did, is it? No, no, he went back to Colossae and he started sharing the gospel with the Colossians and he planted a church there. He wasn't even an apostle. He was just you and me. And he went and he led so many people to Christ. He said, well, I guess we better get together and do this together because there's too many of us. And you think he stopped there? No, he kept going. Do you know that he also went to, uh, they lived in this region called the Lycus Valley, which had three towns. Maybe you've heard of uh, one of them. You have Heropolis and Laodicea. You ever read Revelation, you hear about Laodicea. They're not in good graces with the Lord in Revelation, but that's beside the point. We'll get there later. Uh, But you have this guy, Epaphras, who plants three churches, and he's no super Christian. There is no such thing as a super Christian, and Epaphras proves that by saying, I just want to be faithful to the good news that I heard, that, that the Apostle Paul shared the gospel with me. I went back to my family and my kids and my friends, and I shared them the gospel, and then we planted a church here. Then I went to Laodicea, because I was just going about doing my job, and I was going there, and as I was trading my things, uh, I was sharing the gospel with people, and people started coming to know Christ, and fruit was being produced, and we planted a church there. And then he went to Hierapolis, okay? And Hierapolis was known for, like, the hangout place for the, for the area, and he goes there maybe doing some hangout stuff, maybe family vacation and he's out there with his family and he's sharing the gospel and so many people came to know Christ over that time that he planted a church there you know how I know Epaphras did this? because Paul even says in his letter I have never met you guys like how great, how cool is that? That Paul says, listen, I've never met you guys. What I know about you guys, Epaphras came and told me. And I want to write this letter to you guys, both commending the fact that the gospel has became known all throughout the Lyca's Valley, and I also encourage you guys to keep walking in the fullness of Christ. There's going to be a lot of things that try to keep you from trusting fully in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is you guys need to honor Epaphras, not because he's some super Christian, but because he just did what we all should do. And that's this, and it's point number three on your outline is that he embraced his evangelistic responsibility. And you need to embrace your evangelistic responsibility. I know evangelism is such a hard word because you're like, what does that even mean? And rightly so, because that word is transliterated from Greek to English. And what that means is, is there's not a word right, that rightly translates that word into the English language. Okay? Uh, and so people just say, oh, you know what, I'll just make it sound English by calling it evangelism. And the Greek word is evangelion. And evangelion is, means the good news. Okay, so when people say the good news of Christ, they're actually, uh, they're actually actually translating a Greek word called evangelion. And so we use it as the word evangelism. And evangelion means that it's the good news that I am proclaiming to people who need it. And so we have Epaphras who is taking that responsibility and going and telling people about the gospel. And I want you to just know there's a fruit here. Epaphras, because he didn't keep the truth to himself, he went home from Ephesus after Paul had led him to Christ, and he goes and shares the gospel with his friends and his family, and the kingdom of God is made known in this city. The kingdom of God is made known in the valley. The kingdom of God is made known in Asia Minor, and churches are built up and multiplied, and they're being fruitful for the good news of the gospel of Christ. And for you to say, you know what, I'm no Epaphras. You know, that guy apparently had some pretty good uh, rate of return when it came to the people he was sharing the gospel with. And you're probably telling me, you know what, I've shared the gospel with 30 people, and every one of them uh, got mad at me and ran away. Which I highly doubt that happened, but I know that is your biggest fear. And if that is your biggest fear, I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. All right. In verse 14, here's what Paul says. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and the other, a fragrance from life to life. Okay, here uh, Look at me because I, I hope this revolutionizes your Christian life when it comes to evangelism. Okay? Uh, your goal is not to convert every single person that you share the gospel with. Do you hear me? Right? You are not a failure when people say no to the gospel that you proclaim to them. Okay? That is not the basis of for your good faithfulness when it comes to obeying God and pleasing Him and the work that you're doing. You hear that, okay? Because according to 2 Corinthians, our job isn't to convert as many people as possible, right? Our job is to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. And even Paul says, okay, you're going to be an aroma. You're going to be an aroma of Christ, and you're going to spread everywhere. My wife lit a candle the other night, and it just... (laughs) It's that aroma just spread throughout the whole house. I smelt it everywhere. I couldn't go anywhere where the aroma of that candle was not. That, my friends, is the goal of God when we're looking at 2 Corinthians, is that we're going to light this candle that is the church, and we're going to spread this aroma, and it's going to go everywhere. Okay? Now, here's the uh, repercussions of this aroma. Okay? This aroma is going to be two things to the world. Okay? To one group, the aroma of Christ to God is going to be a fragrance from death to death. Well, here's the thing: you sharing the gospel with some of the people in your life is going to be uh, like smells like death to them because it is right. You're telling them that they're going to spend eternity separated from a holy God if they don't repent of their sins and trust in Christ. And you're going to say, "Yes, they're going to go." That smells like death, and they're going to walk away, and they're not going to want any part of it. And according to Scripture, you did your job; that like you were faithful. Okay. Now, also, right. To those who are being saved, it's a fragrance from life to life. There are literally going to be people that God has set aside that live right here in New Braunfels, Texas, that you're going to go share the gospel with, and they're going to go, man, that smells like life. Man, that is something that I want. No one's ever shared that gospel with me. No one's ever told me about Jesus. Or they're going to say, you know what? I've never heard it told to me that clearly. Or they're going to say, you know what? God has never opened my eyes to that, even though I grew up in the church, even though my dad's a pastor, even though that he preached the gospel to me every day of my whole life, but I've never had my eyes open to it until you told me right now, and I'm looking at it, and I see that that's given me life. I see that my greatest need is to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is the fragrance from life to life. And so what I'm saying here is as a church, our responsibility is to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. It isn't the conversion, which would be great, right? If we could lead everybody we meet to Christ, that would be amazing. And we all see that as a good thing. But that's not the goal. The goal is to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere we go. As ambassadors of Christ, according to Scripture, that's our job. We're out there just spreading a fragrance of God everywhere. And we're going to see people saved. We're going to see people say no. We're going to see people who say, thank you so much. We're going to say, people, say, get off my door before you get shot. Okay? Those are all things that could very well happen, m- unlikely the second one to happen. But that's our goal. Okay? And I want you to see that. I hope that freed you up a little bit in your evangelistic zeal to say, you know what, you're right. Everybody that I talk to about the gospel doesn't have to be saved. Right? But to God's glory, some of them might. For their good, some of them might. Now, how can you do this? Well, I talk about it a lot. But we're going to talk about life groups. Okay. Life groups are such a great way for you uh, to share the gospel with people, and here's why. I went to, uh, the last couple of weeks, my group has uh, gone out to the parks and our neighborhoods, and there's just something about when you go out with your, with your, with your life group, with the people you're doing life together, and you're going out and talking to people about God, how much more fruitful your conversations are, because how much more bold you can be when you have your people around you. And it's not that all of us went up to each house and knocked on the door and tried to talk about the gospel but there's some accountability there when they come back and ask you hey who did you talk to anybody and you say no no you'd be like yeah actually the boldness that this life group gave me we actually had a lot of great conversations and a lot of these people actually showed up to church this week and a lot of people stood or or sat in the in the audience and heard the gospel preached for the first time in their entire life and so i want to bring that to say this that Okay, sure, maybe every single time you knock on someone's door, you meet somebody at a cafe, you're not just preaching the whole gospel to them. But at least invite them to church. And what do I mean by that? Maybe you said, you know, this is the first church I've been to where that pastor just seems very angry all the time. (laughs) Or, hopefully you don't see me as angry, hopefully you see that, man, that pastor is just telling the truth of the gospel. And maybe the best thing that you can do in that time is invite them to a church where you know that when they sit down, they're going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it is good news. I mean, of course, there's got to be bad news if we're going to have good news, and the good news is Christ fixed the bad news. And some of the best things that you can do is invite people to sit in these very seats so they can, as we say, be put in the firing lines of grace. They're going to hear the gospel, and you're like, well, that guy went to school for it. I mean, he has to know it. You you can sit them right here, and they can hear the gospel. And that's our goal, not to fill every one of these seats, right? not to have the biggest church in America, but to have the most disciples that we can make for the glory of God. And that's what we want to do, uh, and we do that through life groups primarily. Get in a life group. Find people you're doing life together with who can spur you on to love and good works, who can, who can help encourage you to share the gospel with your dad and your mom or your kids who you've just neglected to share the gospel with for decades. You know those people be praying for you and encouraging you and share you stories of their own testimonies of when they led their family to Christ. You know there's so much we can do, but I'll leave it. I leave it to there. Life groups are just a great place to do it. I guess one more is this: that you know church plants on average reach more non Christians than established churches. Now hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, we're not talking bad about churches. Why? Because of the Bride of Christ. And you're not going to hear anybody in this pulpit or in this church talking bad about the Bride of Christ somewhere else. So we'll start there. But I'm going to tell you this. Statistically, church plants reach more non-Christians than churches who have been around for a long time. Why? Because they're new People want to check it out. People are more comfortable coming to new things where people haven't been there for 20 years. I mean, that's just the reality that we find ourselves in. So you're know, planting churches, and you being a part of a church plant gives you a greater chance and opportunity to lead non-Christians to Christ so they could have the hope of the gospel in them. Isn't that exciting? I mean, that's why we're here. And we're asking people who want to be a part of that to join us to be a part of what God is doing here in New Braunfels for Him. Because at the end of the day, like we just want to make sure that we are telling people the truth about the danger that they're approaching. When I was also in high, when I was in high school, uh, my great grandmother Gertrude Augustus Bell—it was her name, lovely name. Uh, she was 94. It was her last Christmas, and uh, we, we knew she was going to pass away. So. I uh, am at our house, and I'm hanging up Christmas lights on our last Christmas. I'm hanging up Christmas lights on the, on the house, and, you know, I'm up on a ladder, and my uncle had just uh, cut the shrubs, and these are massive shrubs. I mean, we're talking about big old branches, okay, and he's cutting them all off, and on the top of them are just these empty branches that have little points on them, look like little stakes, something you see in a scary movie, and I'm like, okay, that's a one way to cut those branches. Uh, anyway, I'm up on the, the roof, and I'm hanging up these Christmas lights, and the ladder's behind me, and I hear from behind me a little bitty voice says, hey, Hayden, and I'll look behind me, and my four-year-old little brother is up on the ladder above these shrubs trying to get on the roof with me to help me hang the Christmas lights. Uh, and literally, as quickly as I turned and could look, the ladder fell from under him, and he started falling down towards these shrubs. And I literally, by the grace of God, swung around and caught his hands before he fell on top of those newly cut pointy shrubs. And I was like, oh my goodness. Coolest thing. We still talk about it today. He's bigger than I am, he's got a beard. He's getting married next month, so he's fine, okay? All I to say, he's fine. Uh, but it didn't just stop there. Our neighbor, which I loved, our neighbor, our, uh, Gertrude's neighbor, uh, he came over there, put the ladder back up. We got my little brother right down to where he goes. All I'm saying is sometimes it takes more than one person to get people to come to know the truth. Sometimes it takes somebody who swings around and grabs the hands and just says, hold on tight. Maybe we can get you to church and the pastor can come share the gospel with you. Or, you know what I'm saying? My point is sometimes it takes a group. Sometimes it takes more than one time to share the gospel, but whatever it takes, stop what you're doing and reach back there and grab somebody who needs to know the gospel. You know, that, that's all we're saying here. All I'm saying is there are people who are falling and are going to end up in a dangerous spot that if we don't put down what we're doing, and that, that is my last application point, sometimes in our life we need to put down things that we're doing. Sometimes in life that we need to put down things that we thought were important for the things that are really, really important. Right? I know that some of you want to go out to the lake after this I know that some of you got drug here from the lake. Okay? I understand that some of you have things that you really, really are passionate about. And all I'm saying is either try to position those things to where the gospel can take center stage in those areas or do what Christ said uh, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and say you need to seek first the kingdom of God. Right? And sometimes in order to seek first the kingdom of God, we need to turn away from some of these temporary things and grasp on to the eternal things. And the eternal things are those things that are going to help people understand the truth about God. And so if we're going to embrace our evangelistic responsibility, sometimes we need to let go of some temporary things so that we can focus on the eternal things. And that's what we want to do here at our church, and we want you to partner with us on is reaching this city for Jesus. Reaching these people who need Christ so they can not only be in an eternal right relationship with him, but they can also be here at this church growing in their faith, abounding in steadfast love, being spurred on to love and good works. Isn't that the life that you want to live? And isn't that the life that we want our neighbors to live? Let's be that kind of church. Pray with me. Well, God, we are, we are amazed at one thing primarily, and that's that you would save wretches like us. God, That so many of us who were in utter darkness that you have brought to light, and all those analogies just to say that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and you have made us alive with Christ. And God, our desire and our hope is that you do that in the lives of many people, uh, so many of us tried to chase uh, the pleasures of the world that, and we just found out that that led to more death and more destruction in our own life. And as many of us in here who turned away from those worthless idols to a holy living God found the, found the truth about life. And God, our hope is that we can share that truth with others, that we can build this church here, not to fill seats, but to make disciples and fill your kingdoms with souls who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, be with us as we go out and do that this week. We pray in Christ's name, amen.